You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I'm here with Julia Yaffe, longtime Washington correspondent who is now at Puck, where she's a founding member of that fine institution. Uh, welcome, Julia. Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. I know you're very busy. I appreciate your time. I have a very basic question for you. You are in Washington, D.C. You are covering a war in Ukraine and Europe. You're also trying to understand what's happening in Russia. How are you keeping track of things? What are you relying on for, for your sourcing and news? Well, I'm glued to every, every which screen. So looking at Twitter, looking at Telegram, I also am talking to friends in Moscow, to friends in Kiev. I'm talking to my sources here in Washington, checking in with them um, as often as I can. What they're thinking, what they're saying. Um, what's what's your level yeah. of confidence about it's 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 a it's war is by definition murky and, and hard to uh, understand um, even if you're in the middle of it. And on the one hand, this this seems like a conflict where we have lots of basic questions about motivations and why things are happening. And we also seem incredibly informed. At least there's a ton of stuff coming across our screens. Do you feel like you have a handle on things or are you just as clueless as as anyone else who's who's watching something flow across your screen? I think it depends what level you're talking about. So things like casualty counts, I'm not clear on. I don't know that anybody is. But things like why this is happening, how it's going, what the effects of this are probably going to be, who's winning, who's losing, who's going to win, who's going to lose, that all seems pretty clear. One thing that I can't quite get a handle on from the outside is, and I don't know that I would if I were inside the country either, is what Russians think about this. But if you tune in later to Puck, there will be some answers. That was one of the things I was going to ask you, but let's let's jump there now. What what I mean, I, and I and I enjoy your reporting. You frequently reference. You'll say I got a, a note or an email or a text from a friend in St. Petersburg or wherever, and this is what they think. Um, is is that sort of your most important sort of person on the ground sense of, of how things are going? No, you're shaking your head now. Oh, sorry. Uh, you know, on, it it gives me a little bit of atmospheric color, but mm -hmm. from the time I lived in Russia and, and the time I spent going back and forth and report, you know, doing stories from there until the pandemic, that was, you know, a couple times a year. I've always known that the people who are my friends in Moscow and St. Petersburg are not representative of the, what the Russian population mm -hmm. at large thinks, you know, they're like, they're educated urban dwellers, kind of upper middle class or the, in the creative industries, white collar people who speak other languages, who tra who used to travel the world a lot, uh, who mm -hmm. are connected, uh, you know, consume culture from the U.S. and Europe. And, you know, they're people like the people you and I know from New York and San Francisco. And right. It'd be like determining how the U.S. feels by talking to people in the West Village in Williamsburg. Correct. Exactly. So, but then, you know, how do you determine what people in the countryside think or people in smaller cities 
It's hard to do. I don't, uh, polling has never been very good in Russia. It often, you know, I remember one of the first things I learned when I moved to Moscow in 2009 was I was talking to a sociologist who was at this very prominent independent polling, public polling place called uh, the Levada Center. And I guess I kept asking similar kinds of questions. And he said, you, you understand, right, that we're not measuring public opinion. We're measuring the effectiveness of propaganda. And that was 2009. Those were, as Russians like to call them, vegetarian times. There was still a lot of independent media. There were uh, people weren't being sent to jail for liking something on Facebook. It was easier to ask people what, what they thought was going on. Now, I mean, yesterday they shut down... The Russian government shut down or blocked trans transmission of the last independent TV station, which had already been relegated to the internet and was no longer on any cable or satellite packages, and the last independent radio station. So Russians have been living in an increasingly controlled media space, and right now it feels like they're living in a, unless they're actively seeking out information from other sources, they're living in an informational blackout about this war. So with all the caveats about the limited access you have to figure out what an average Russian citizen is thinking and doing these days, what is your sense of what where those people would be turning to for news and information? Are they state-controlled TV? Are they on the internet? Um, we can talk about social media, which I know is being throttled, but what's, if you're, what's the average media diet right now? I think it depends on the age group and where mm -hmm. people live. For the last few years, we've seen a trend of younger Russians, probably people under 40, basically only getting their news from Telegram, of you know, various Telegram channels and YouTube channels. So there was the surge of popularity among these these YouTubers, most of them, you know, in the, in the favorite format for Russians, I will never understand this, is like three hour long interviews. <laughs> They're Joe Rogan fans. No, but I mean, li literally, like, uh, I, you know, I see one of them, like a, a good friend of mine is one of these kind of well-known YouTubers who switched from actually working for state TV to building her own YouTube channel because she was just sick of the censorship. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, she interviewed this really interesting person. I'm going to watch it. And then I hope <laughs> it's like two hours. I'm like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, everything's war and peace over there. So... There's that. Uh, I think older people watch TV, especially in rural areas. You know, there's also social media, but as we've seen in the U.S., social media doesn't mean quality information and it doesn't mean anti-government information. You know, we spent we've spent years now post 2016 talking about Russian disinformation efforts aimed at the West, aimed at disrupting our, our elections in the U.S., etc. It does not seem like that is effective at this very moment, um, but I, you know, I, th I think we're slowly realizing, some of us, that oh, there's two disinformation campaigns. One is aimed externally, and one is aimed internally. Um, do you have a sense of, of why uh, Putin's disinformation teams have been less successful this time around, aimed at the West? Did we catch up to what they were doing? Is it just that it's just much harder to deceive someone about a, a, a land war? I think it's that. I think, A, you know, fool me once. I'm not going to bungle it like George W. Bush did. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think people are, 
savvier consumers, I think uh, social media companies have caught up at least a little bit. You know, even on Twitter, you see, you know, things labeled as like, this person works for the Russian government. And I think that before people, we didn't have that. And it just seemed like, oh, what a what an interesting person with a high follower count and a blue check mark. And I, I take it they've been better at shutting down trolls. Uh, sorry, not trolls, bots. But I'm, as you can tell, I'm not the most tech tech savvy person. That's all right. I think the other thing is that you know after twenty right, so after twenty sixteen, it's uh, harder to fool people, both in Europe, which had which was also the target of this kind of disinformation campaign with their elections, with Brexit, French presidential election, and here with uh, the election of Trump. But also, I think the Biden administration did. A fantastic job in preparing people for this in basically calling out what Putin was going to do before he did it. You know, he's going to do X and then Putin does X. He's going to do Y and then Putin does Y. And it really just ripped the veil off of, you know, it, it was no longer mysterious. It was that people no longer had to wonder, is it a false flag thing? Also, like you said, it's harder to hide a land war and Putin wasn't really hiding it. You know, he had a almost 200,000 troops on the border for so mm-hmm. long. This wasn't little green men without, without insignia showing up and saying like, well, we're just volunteers. We just got these at the army surplus store. Now it was like they've been sitting there and Putin has been was threatening to use them and now he's using them. So. It's, it's out in the open. We're braced for it. That, that said, it still is murky and confusing. It's fast moving. We're recording this Wednesday morning, March 2nd. Um, so maybe things will be outdated by the time this, this podcast comes up later tonight. But I mean, two weeks ago, if you read sort of mainstream media, there was real skepticism about whether Putin would actually invade or if this was saber rattling and could we really trust the intelligence reports the U.S. was distributing. Uh, A week ago, the narrative was that they were going to occupy Ukraine within a day or so. Now there's the narrative is is they've been stymied by the the plucky Ukrainians. I don't mean to make light of it, but that's a narrative people like. How much of that is media maybe misunderstanding from the jump what was happening and how much of it is look it's fast moving and it's chaotic and and war doesn't follow a a linear path and maybe vladimir putin doesn't follow a linear path well i think on the the intelligence was very consistent and i think it's okay that people were and good that people were skeptical but now it you know as soon as it started it was like oh the intelligence was right on everything they didn't count on the, I guess they counted out the Ukrainians too soon, mm-hmm. who are, it's not just a media narrative, they are giving the Russians a hell of a time, and it's incredible to watch. You know, they're stopping stopping tanks with it, people stopping tanks with their bare hands, people driving by in cars, throwing a Molotov cocktail at the, you know, treads of a tank. Um but then you also have the Ukrainian military. And and this was also like if you're um if you're part of these circles that talk about this stuff and report about this stuff, that was also something that was predicted, that we all kind of figured would happen, that it wouldn't be two days, that mm-hmm. um you know, the Ukrainian army is is not the Ukraine today was not the Ukrainian army of twenty fourteen. They've been fighting for eight years. Uh, fighting Russia for eight years, they've they're better equipped by the West now. There there's better morale, and also like invading the homeland would trigger some something like this. So it hasn't been all that murky. I think it was a question of 
you know, and even the intelligence said, like, we don't know that a hundred until they said, you know, it was a hundred percent. They said, we don't know with a hundred percent certainty if he'll do this, it's more likely than not that he will. And the question and the decision is his alone. So I, I actually I'm not really I'm not really sure what you mean by murky. Like what? Um, I, I so I'm not following it day to day like mm-hmm. you are. I'm not a professional. Yeah. I, 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 I have found that just in general, there is a natural and I think relatively healthy skepticism about official sources. And especially when it comes to, you know, uh, well, but lots of different things. Right. I mean, things that seemed incontrovertible a few years ago and now are all up, sort of up for debate. The U.S. has been military intelligence has been wrong many times in, in past history. Um, and at least for me, like I, I, I certainly assume that most things coming out of, of Russian officials mouths are, are not true or at least uh, misleading. But I don't necessarily trust anything that that, that comes from a U.S. military source at, at face value, right? I'm certainly willing to consider whether they're wrong or whether they have uh, different motivations. But now what we've seen, I mean, this is like an incredible comeback story for U.S. intelligence agencies. Mm-hmm. Despite previous fuck-ups, they've gotten it right this time at every turn. Like everything they said would happen has happened, and it's happening exactly as they said it would happen, which is really incredible because... The intelligence gathering environment has in Russia has gotten more and more dangerous and hard. So uh, there must be a crazy mole hunt going on in the Kremlin right now. Um, and so you you think that's human intelligence? That's not spy satellites. I don't, I and, don't know. Yeah, I think some. I think it's a mix. I wouldn't we'll be surprised to... if there were people in the Russian government who are like, "Holy shit, we're about to do this." It's hard to compare this to other events, whether they're wars or pandemics. Um, I was struck by something you said in a recent interview um, on TV talking about your concern that 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 Americans were going to be disappointed as the as the war progressed, that this the the underdog story, the David Goliath story was not going to turn out the way they might expect. Can you can you expand on that for me? We're seeing that happen already over the weekend. Everybody, myself included, were delighted to see that the Ukrainians had basically halted the advance, that they were, I mean, they were really pummeling the Russians, both on the ground and in the informational, like in the reputational informational space. They were totally dominating the narrative. And all we saw from the war was like, were these, as you said, plucky Ukrainians, you know, uh, gathering crates and crates of homemade Molotov cocktails and dancing around with javelins and and these four Russian conscripts you know it's it's against the Geneva Conventions to circulate these videos but if you see them they're they didn't know they were going into Ukraine which is I think very plausible uh given that they're foot soldiers maybe the officers knew but these poor you know 18 year old conscripts maybe didn't but now you're already seeing it turn, as many of us predicted, because of just the sheer manpower and firepower that Russia has, because they have certain weapons that the Ukrainians don't have, like that kind of air force. And it's, I mean, as we're, we're talking on Wednesday morning, Kherson in the south is uh, surrounded. They're running out of fo- food and fuel. There are massive civilian casualties and then people are too scared to go out and get the dead bodies. Kiev is also is probably going to be surrounded. My fear and this is not this is not, you know, original thinking to me, but in the Russia watching community and talking to friends who are reporting from Ukraine right now, 
and just talking to experts, the fear is that it's going to turn into Syria and it'll still be a David and Goliath story, but it'll be something like that drags on for months and or maybe even years and cities are leveled, which is horrible because these are beautiful cities. Cities are leveled. The death toll keeps rising. The The types of weapons that are used are just in, like the Russians apparently have already used thermobaric bombs, which are just horrific. The U.S. used them in Afghanistan and they're um, they're awful. It's basically it bomb on a on exploding sucks up all the oxygen and ignites the oxygen. So there's nowhere to hide. It explodes your lungs, basically, and your internal organs. It's awful. And, you know, I, I, I don't think a lot of this is just from knowing Putin. I, he's not going to take the L on this. He will not be humiliated in front, of the, in front of the whole world. And in some ways, the sanctions will probably make it more likely that he will try to take over Ukraine, even if it means killing every last Ukrainian. Uh, and that's awful in part because if you think about Syria, when did the world stop paying attention? Very early on in the conflict. And when did people get sick of refugees from there and get sick of helping them? Very early on in the conflict. And if you think about Syria, the bad guy won in the end. Do you imagine that 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 tuning out phenomenon, right? Just natural. Uh, people don't pay attention to anything for very long. We're in a still in a pandemic in the US and people got sick of that a couple years ago. Any reason to think that it plays out in terms of the world's attention that it plays out differently in the Ukraine simply because it's in Europe and as there's you know there's already now a media criticism back and forth about these people look like us meaning other white people in New York and Washington and in Europe and that commands more attention or is it it in the end it's just a news story about something happening to people that you don't know in another part of the world that you can't find on a map and that at least in the US that that we we tune out fairly soon yeah i think here we have to differentiate between Europe and the US I think for Europe, there has been a lot of racist coverage of this, uh, you know, about how it's people with blue eyes and blonde hair and how they look like you and me. They have Netflix. Yeah, I think that is a massive, massive part of the story about why these refugees are being treated differently than, say, Syrian or Afghan or Eritrean refugees. But it's also that these are their neighbors. For example, Poland and Ukraine have a very similar language, similar culture, especially in the West. So... It's partly the racism, but partly like it's the equivalent of or the analog of, let's say something crazy happens in Canada and a bunch of Canadian refugees stream across the border. Mm -hmm. So I think in Europe, it will continue to be a story because it's there and it's uh, it's on their continent. And as one Biden administration source told me when I asked why the Europeans reacted, I think American officials didn't expect the Europeans to react so swiftly and severely. And this source said it's hitting them in their World War II muscle. And I personally feel it as somebody from the Soviet Union. This looks like World War II. This is, it's happening in the same places on, as on the Eastern Front. It's incredibly triggering. It's incredibly traumatic to watch because our people have all lived through it. I think for the U.S., we'll be tuned out in two weeks max. I mean, and and I some of that is geography. I think we're spoiled by our, our geography. We're spoiled by, by our comfort and wealth. And we have the option to tune out. You know, we have two friendly neighbors and two oceans for borders. And 
we've always been very good at sticking our heads in the sand. Are you thinking about your coverage and at what point your bosses at Puck will say, look, we can't do Russia. We can't mm-hmm. do Ukraine every week. Um, we, we, you're our Washington correspondent. Get, you know, um, yeah. We need some play-by-play on the elections, et cetera, and how you're going to balance that. I don't even think it's going to be my bosses. It's going to be, you know, what readers want, what they want to read about. Yeah, I'm already thinking about that. Uh, it's, I think that's going to be very hard because the war in Syria, just personally speaking, I'm not, you know, not that my feelings are paramount in this, but just from a personal perspective, the war in Syria was very, you know, hit me really hard, but this is, Hitting me in a way, I was talking about this with friends who are both from the area and covered and lived there, lived in Russia and Ukraine for many years. And we're already talking about how it's an, it's so jarring and alienating to talk to people. You know, we're all stateside now. Um, how alienating and jarring it is to talk to Americans who aren't thinking about this 100% of the time. This is all I think about, in part because it's, you know, I'm from Moscow and my parents are from Moscow, but their grandparents, three quarters of them were from Ukraine. And these, you know, one of my grandmother's uh, native cities was being shelled the other day. Odessa, where my uh, my grandmother's father is from, is under threat of being taken over. They, there was an amphibious landing there the first day of the invasion. I have friends calling me. Uh, last night, a friend from St. Petersburg called me in tears. She has two kids, and she's like, please help me get out. I don't want to live in uh, North Korea. And so I'm calling my friends at the State Department of, you know, where can she get a visa? What kind of visa can she get? I have friends who are fleeing for their lives or because they're men and they don't want to fight. And you, they don't want to be called up to fight in Ukraine. I have family friends who are watching their money disappear and are becoming kind of impoverished overnight. And this is a personal story in a way that few other stories have been. And I know it's going to be hard for me to write about the midterms when, you know, if this is still going on, you know, I mean, like I wake up and it's the first thing I think about. And then I can't fall, despite how tired I am when I go to sleep, I can't fall asleep because it's all I'm thinking about. Thank you for putting that in context. It's very helpful. Uh, and I know you got to go. I want one last question.